What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter so come through and big thanks to produce row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the best of 2021, episode 289 of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Excited to share with you this compilation that I've put together of highlights from throughout this past year of the podcast. And this thing always takes a lot of hours to to get done, but I always find it really rewarding at the end and i think it is uh, a cool tradition to continue of putting these best of episodes out and have some sort of highlight reel from the conversations that that really stuck with me throughout this past year and uh so last year going to mostly zoom podcasts 
because of the pandemic, it kind of really encouraged me to take the reins on doing some more detailed editing of the podcast and trying to make the show as enjoyable to listen to as possible to accommodate for things like zoom delays and not always having the best mic feed on the guest and whatnot. And in this year I leaned even heavier into the production on the show and I'm pretty happy with where it is at and kind of where, how my engineering skills have developed. But yeah, even going through these episodes and putting this thing together, I have kind of seen, uh, where my mixing is improved or, uh, or where, or how my methods changed at certain points. But, uh, I'm always trying to learn more to, to make it better and learn new tricks to be more efficient and creative. So I hope you longtime listeners have enjoyed how the show has evolved. I, um, I'm so grateful for the support for this thing, and I just appreciate the fuck out of you uh, you people who continue to tune in on a routine basis. And if you're you're brand new to the show, I think this is a, uh, a cool way to enter things and hopefully a cool showcase of uh, the types of conversations that are had on this podcast, always trying to cover uh, a variety of genres trying to keep it mixed up in that realm of things because that's what I listen to and I think it's also just helpful for perspective to get to talk to people doing different things and not just all making the the same types of music so this is a glimpse into my year in no particular order we'll start and end with a couple of my favorites but these to me are some of the highlights, I was planning to just do a top 12, and then when I went through all of the episodes, I ended up picking 21 of the conversations to highlight, which is like 50% of the episodes, so I settled on 15. I honestly could have found clips from every episode this year, and I'm super appreciative of all that gave me some of their time to talk this year. This was such a big year for the cast and myself and really getting after this thing on a more full-time basis since breaking free of the nine to five in May. So thanks to all the supporters out there and big thanks to the sponsors of the show. DistroKid has been supporting for almost a full year now and Produce Row and North 45 for about six months so big thanks to those folks who are helping support this thing you can support by just sharing the podcast or leaving an itunes review those are super helpful to visibility for this thing and if you want to donate you can hit the venmo link in the episode notes or you can paypal donation as well january is also the last month to get up on these dan cable presents t-shirts and mugs those links are in the episode notes as well as my Spotify profile link is there as well. So you can check out the monthly playlist that I have been putting out every first of the month. So look for that first one of 2022 coming at you tomorrow. All right, let's get into this thing. You'll hear me throughout the episode introducing some of the clips, but uh, there were some bucket list guests checked off this year and the conversation we will kick off with is one of those when i saw young jesus play in 2019 at pickathon i had no idea who they were i had never heard their music before and it was one of those moving and powerful experiences in which i uh, found one of my new favorite bands and they've put out some of my favorite records over the last five years 
and their live show is incredible and this chat with john the lead singer of the band was as thoughtful as the music that the band puts out and uh was one of those big moments for me from this past year and this is their song patterned out off their most recent record conceptual beach which is out on saddle creek which is such a killer label and uh to follow is a clip from our conversation entering at the point of john telling me about the current iteration of the band coming together this is young jesus on episode 238 of the podcast Eventually, I kind of petered out, and I moved to Los Angeles on a whim, and thought the band was over. Started working at a bookstore, um, and finding my way here, and I became friends with uh, this one barista at the coffee shop down the street from the bookstore, Kern. And someone was like, "Oh, you should talk to Kern. Like, you y'all would really get along." And um, I was like, wow, Kern is so far out. I don't know if I really would get along with him. And then I realized I was really far out and I wasn't sort of self-aware of where I was at. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's and, awesome. Yeah. Like, um, and that we're actually like very kindred spirits. And so we started jamming and showing each other music. He was showing me like Anthony Braxton and Bill Orcutt and um, Sun Ra. And, uh, and then our friend... My friend Eric, back from home, moved to L.A., and he joined. And Marcel is a bass player from Los Angeles uh, who was like, we all came up at this house called Emerald House. Marcel was there all the time and such an amazing person and great guitarist. And I asked him one day, like, had a tour booked. And I was like, uh, hey, going on tour in a month, do you want to play bass in my band? He was like, yeah. And so then he he became our bassist and... That's how it's been for five years now and like learning so much together. We have very different styles musically, different ways of playing, different backgrounds. And that's been the real joy of it is there's so much tension there um, in our playing. And so, like I said, with Pickathon, like if you find people at a moment when they're open when we find each other as a band in moments when we're open, it's really magical. It's really like this beautiful, strange thing that um, comes together. And that's, I think we've just like grown and grown through that. And in that learned how to find each other in the more song like moments as well. 
yeah. learn to write together in a way that like is cohesive and can carry the moments that are so strange and like ebb and flow of tension and release and give yeah, some, man. give something to fall back for all of us ourselves included absolutely i think it's a uh, it's like one of the beautiful things about jazz and those elements that seep into your your music is that you know some of those more song oriented parts you know these beautiful melodies and stuff maybe aren't quite as beautiful without the stuff that's a little more far out and there's not when you're not getting the relief from that. Yeah. If people can, um, stick with it, I think there is like real, uh, they're designed to be, yeah, a relief that I think maybe earlier on in ST and maybe some parts of the whole thing is just there. Um, and this also just like comes with age that you want to just put people in an intense experience and not, and including yourself, um, at least for me, um, with no relief. And I think, <laughs> cause you're like, that's intense. And like, you yeah. want in like, yes. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and as I've, uh, as I've grown older, I've realized that like, I need the relief just as much as an audience member would like, it's really important to have like some shelter within songs, um, especially for those uninitiated and to improv improvisational music or, um, because there was a time where I had no fucking idea what improvisational music was and I would hear it and I would be an asshole about it and say like, it wasn't music or like they're bad at their instruments. So uh, to me, it's really important to have bands and music that helps bridge the gap for people. Um, and that's what we're hoping to do. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's definitely, uh, where it hits for me is that like, I also kind of maybe came from this world where I didn't understand something like free jazz or some like super far out experimental shit. And just like, didn't understand the level of technicality or musicianship that went into something like that. And, and now I'm at this opposite side of it where like, I love that I seek it out. So when it is bridged together with these, these things, I'm like also love like hooky songwriting and, and just like, you know, maybe some, uh, some incredibly vulnerable lyrics to go along with all that is, uh, it's, it's a cool thing, man. It's, I'm hope I'm hoping at least lyrically to show that, um, we write things off because, or I have written things off because of vulnerability, because I've been afraid to be vulnerable. Um, and in my insecurity, it was easier and, and quicker to just say something is stupid or whatever terrible thing I could think of as a, you know, however long. And, that it's really a long process. And to me, it's been the most important process of my life to become vulnerable and be able to greet um, things that make me uncomfortable, new experiences uh, with curiosity um, rather than judgment. And I'm not at all close to achieving that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... It's an ever-changing thing. It's just, you know... 
you're constantly new things are coming at you and, and figuring out how to absorb all that is, is all part of the process. Yeah. I think that's also like a really fun thing to, you know, to find your band maybe last summer and know that there's this entire catalog to go through. It's this cool thing to like really see how the band has, you know, grown in your songwriting. Um, but it seems like, you know, those elements even have always been there from the beginning, like the, the songwriting and that vulnerability that you're speaking about. There's just tons of these lines when I'm listening to your songs, like throughout all the records that, you know, just give me these moments of like, fuck, like just evoke a deep level of thought. And I think like just definitely ignite some, some self-reflection for sure. Yeah. And that's, I'm so happy to hear that because that's the goal is to like give, I think, um, and I think one thing that's changed is that our music has given a little bit more space for reflection in the music, um, which I love. I think in the earlier, the earliest records, it's like, um, intense moment after intense moment, vulnerable thing after vulnerable thing. And, um, I mean, that's what happens when you're realizing that you're in, or you're trying, at least for me, I didn't even know I was just singing it, but you're trying to realize that you're in pain, but no one's given you the language. Um, so you're kind of telling these stories and screaming these lyrics without having any awareness that it's you, uh, at least I really didn't know. I was just singing it and then eventually realized like, wow, that's me singing those songs. That's me screaming those songs. And that's for a reason. And uh, then you kind of learn to give a little bit more space for yourself and for other people, or at least step by step, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean it seems like, you know, that, that definitely, you know, it's like grow and decompose. You do have like a lot of those like intense line, intense line, intense line, like just lots of like music, music, music. And I love that record. I think it's really great. It seems like, um, I don't know if this is necessarily a true thing, but it seems like that's where you seem to like really start to like dig in as a vocalist and get, seems like you're getting more comfortable at that point of like delivering and just um and i loved so many of the the lyrics and particular tracks on that but like as as you go further through the catalog it seems like the quantity of words is maybe lessened but like the quality of them and the like the intent behind those lines and like on the whole thing is just there it seems like there's several of these mantras that kind of happen throughout each track you know like those those things that just like just pounded into you so you you remember those things and and those kind of seem to continue to the the new record welcome to conceptual beach as well a little bit of that happening yeah for sure i think um those are things that i want myself to hear and uh that i really do believe that if you repeat um, certain things to yourself, you can kind of change a little bit of who you are, uh, and re, um, wire some of your neural pathways, just like 
oh, like, I want to be around and live it. I want to be around and live it. I want to be around and live it. Like, and to not be ashamed, to be excited, um, or, or like goofy or angry, even in a productive way, like in a way that is responsible and like generative rather than like full of shame and confusion and like self torture, you know? Um, so learning, trying to learn to rewire some of those emotions, um, is very important lyrically to the band. Um, and yeah, gosh, I mean, it's funny to think back to, to those albums like five to 10 years ago. And, um, it's so, I mean, we all get there where it's like, I can't believe that was me, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. But it's kind of sweet now. Like I, I have a little bit more, um, I used to be like, fuck those records, you know? Uh, yeah. And now I'm like, gosh, I was really trying to figure it out. It's okay. Young Jesus, great band based out of Los Angeles, California. That's episode 238 if you want to hear the full podcast. And I will put the links for all of the artists that are featured on this best of 2021 so you can find those in the episode notes. And this next clip is from episode 264 with my cousin Rob. This dude is no stranger to the podcast. He is the drummer and band leader for High Pulp and half of the duo Sun King. Both those bands have been on the podcast before. And he is also my co-host for my I Dig Records series, which comes out in this podcast feed as well every other Wednesday. And I've had such a cool front seat to getting to be an observer of his growth and kind of his journey as a musician since moving to the Pacific Northwest. He's lived in Seattle all his life. I lived in California growing up until moving to Portland almost uh, nine years ago now, and we've just got incredibly close over the last 10 to 12 years. He's one of my, my favorite people on the planet, and uh, this was uh, one of my favorite conversations that we've ever had on record and this is a clip from that yeah man i don't know you're the dude that would come down to grandma's house and you'd stay for a week but always with your practice pad you know always still like trying to learn new drum patterns and like rudiment like exercises out of a book or a magazine or some shit you know just yeah i don't know there's always always seems to be like this push to the to the next thing and i know that's also like what you really enjoy about listening to music Mm -hmm. is is things that don't always stay in one place so that's sort of the appeal that like jazz has for me like when i sort of fell in love with jazz it was because of the music and then also listening to a lot of interviews with jazz musicians and understanding what the music was for them and like that it actually is something sort of like more than the music you know what i mean like not in like a corny way, but in, in the sense that like, like this is your craft and it's like, this is a thing that, that you'll, you'll never reach 
the the end of you know what i mean like you'll never be like cool i'm there like you're always reaching and that's sort of the beautiful thing about the instrument is that it's always open to like go deeper on you know it's like like it's a rule like it's infinite you know it's shooting pool yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly so it's like you know you can you can you can just like it's it's just this like endless well and for me I think that like I've always just been a disciplined person I don't know why I have no idea like when I was you know in in like when I was younger and sports was like my favorite thing I would come home from school every day and just practice you know I just like hit the the hit away you know with Mm -hmm. the baseball or shoot free throws or whatever for like every day every fucking day and uh no one asked me to do it you know what i mean i think i'm i think the best part yeah i think i'm i think i'm competitive um and i like to get better and i've also like from a young age i uh understood because of the sports stuff i think because like you know like i loved baseball so it was like i practiced baseball and i got better at baseball right so then i learned the equation if you practice you get better Mm. So like that was really valuable to me because my, my, I tried to, you know, my parents put piano on me at a young age. Like so many parents put piano on their kid and I fucking hated it. You know, I was just like, no, try to did it for like a year or two until they were just like, cool, like whatever, you don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> I was like, thank you. So, you know, I wasn't able to learn that through the music cause I wasn't passionate about it when I was six or seven, not about playing. I loved music since, you know, forever, but I didn't want to learn how to read music, right? You know, and because I wanted to go fucking bounce off the walls, you know, I wanted to go, (laughs) you know, or play video games. So I learned that discipline and practicing, specifically consistent practicing, Mm. is the most important part. And I tell my students this all the time. It's like, you can go ahead and practice three hours on a Sunday, but I'd much rather you practice for 20 to 30 minutes every day. And I guarantee you'll get better than you would if you practice for three fucking six hours on a Sunday. I don't, it doesn't matter. 20 minutes, 30 minutes every day is better. And then you try to get more, you know, but every day is the consistency thing. And that's important. And so that got into my head and, you know, just that practicing makes you better at something who would have thought, but it's important to feel that and to know that, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, obviously that's true. But like, if you've lived it and you're like, okay, cool. Like I can trust this. I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. You know, some of the things that, a lot of people and myself too like had to and have to work on is the idea that like you know like that shit just happens when it's supposed to happen because it's some woo-woo shit that just is like oh and then i was enlightened it's like no like that's not how that works (laughs) you know what i mean like that's a fucking process like it's like it's a never-ending process yeah exactly and that's the thing that's what i'm saying with like the drums like for me and this is a heartfelt belief that is like you can learn anything about you can learn everything about the whole world that you need to know as long as you're if, if you're like genuinely passionate about something for me the drums have taught me everything yeah. you know what i mean and we talked like, about oh. this in a i dig records episode okay word yeah and i don't care if you're a fucking dentist or if you're a, a gamer or if you're uh a, a athlete or if you know whatever like you know it can teach you everything as long as you're genuinely passionate about it and present like there's just so much so much to learn like just through like because it's all the same shit that's what I'm saying, I guess, is like 
whatever roadblocks I reach on the drums that I have to work through are going to be the same roadblocks that an athlete is going to have to reach or, or go through. Right. Or is the same shit that a programmer is going to have to go through. Or is the same shit that a fucking author. And, you know, it's just like what you're genuinely passionate about is going to be the thing that you're going to be willing the most to work through that mm -hmm. and stay with it. And that's the thing that's going to actually be able to teach you. That's so, why so many people give it up to God when they win an award or like mm -hmm. they win the championship. Right. It's all like... I don't know how this happened. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, this isn't, like, it's not I me. I kept doing this thing yeah. and mm -hmm. it took me to the next level. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, man, exactly. And it's like, whatever you want to call it, like, I just don't know. I guess the, the answer to your question is like, I don't know what else I would be doing. You know what I mean? Like, like, of course I'm going to bring the practice pad down. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. That's just, that's the only way that, that feels good to me. Otherwise I'll feel like, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, like, not then getting I, better. Yeah. Then I, yeah, it's just like, huh? People are like, can't you chill? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm chilling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Don't so, get it twisted that like, because I work hard doesn't like, I'm not, I'm not like super like type A at all or anal like yeah, about you, any you of that. Fucking, I'm just doing my thing. You played Smash Brothers probably for like two hours yesterday too. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kazo. Check out the uh, I Dig Record series every other Wednesday and uh, check out that full episode if you want to hear more of it. Episode 264 and I Dig Records is just he and I doing the, the deep dive on a record. I've had some guest co-hosts over the last couple of months as well, which has also been fun. But look out for those coming at you regularly i got to talk to some incredible music producers engineers and beat makers in 2021 and these next two artists are amongst two of my favorites in that realm that i got to talk to the first being toronto canada based beat maker and producer eloquent who had been trying to link up with for a while so it was rad to get to chat with him for a couple hours and he was super kind and the one that follows is with melbourne australia based producer alice ivy i stumbled upon alice's music late in 2020 and her tracks often make it into my dj sets i love her records so i was super pumped to get to chat with her and uh, her fun energy that exists in her live shows and her records definitely seem to come through in the spirit of the conversation as well so this is a clip from episode 241 with eloquent when i you know when i came across the you know like all these german and french producers who were you know a little more experimental with uh, with their sound um and and at some point um you know, I guess once I started to travel a little bit and, and, you know, in Los Angeles in particular, um, I guess it's kind of what I like to call the, uh, the beat scene Mecca, yeah, so man. to speak. And, you know, and just, and just the way that experiment experimentation is, um, is, is, uh, sort of looking for 
like it's emphasized and it's uh and people really appreciate it there and and kind of just through it all you sort of come to realize as producers just the general crossover between um just instrumental music whether it's hip-hop to electro to dance to uh edm and techno and everything like there's there's so much overlap and you know like so many of my my friends you know um reside in so many different lanes beyond what i personally do but you know you take you kind of take elements of what you like about about stuff that you're not normally catered to so i went from a producer who you know, only went into the crates and would only use the drum breaks and so forth to okay, man, like some of these weird synths sound really, really cool. And if I can figure out a way to fuse them with with some of the sampling and stuff that I do, and hey, like the like I really like the way these Rhodes chords sound and hey, like the like the way that Flying Lotus has like eight different sets of percussion and some of his joints is really, really cool. And yeah, why, why can't I have like some Tom rolls and why can't I, why can't I do anything, you know? So, you know, it, I guess part of it sort of, you know, throwing everything against the wall and seeing, and seeing what sticks, you know, and trying not to fall into the trap of overproducing and, and doing too much, but you know, at this point, I've kind of found the balance between, you know, the the stuff that I I sort of grew up on, some new ideas and sounds that that I sort of discovered and like to use nowadays, and you know, just finding that balance that that suits me. Alice Ivy on episode two hundred and fifty-two. from like I like that sort of that way of mixing I guess definitely came from like live performance like before I even had tracks out I was doing like beat sets where I'd like have all these different loops and samples and I just have like the APC 40 which you would have seen me play on and I was just you know hitting buttons and like you know I'd be like cool I'm gonna sample this like Marvin Gaye like song and then I'm gonna like sample these drums from somewhere else and then I'm gonna put them together and then I'm gonna play them together and then I'm gonna I'm gonna like mix to the next song by adding another loop and then taking one out and I guess that's sort of like is how I started like that's how I got into music production by like sampling and like cutting and like you know putting things together and taking things away and then mixing to the next song and I guess like that was what got me started and from then on I was like cool I need to make like fully length songs now I need to finish full I need to finish full songs so that's kind of yeah where my brain was at always just trying to mix things yeah the first time I picked up a guitar so guitar has always been my main instrument I was I was 10 and um my uncle like had like a little home studio and it was really cool like he had all these like Gibson sitting around and he had like a big desk and he was just like it was always just this like really cool environment and I you know like I grew up listening my parents always had music going like they're massive Pink Floyd fans Queen fans Supertramp um 
really my dad's a massive Santana fan. So like, just like music was always a thing in the household. And, and I guess, you know, like being in the studio environment that my uncle had, like he, he was in Germany. So we'd visit him once a year. I was always like really fascinated by it. And so I kind of convinced him to teach me a couple of chords on the guitar. And that's sort of really what I just, I loved it. Like as soon as I got taught those chords, it was one of those things where I would literally practice and practice and practice and practice until I became like really, yeah, like I was just like, I want to know more. I, I became really familiar and comfortable with playing the guitar. A few years later, I just like started, you know, doing proper lessons and that sort of stuff. And I was playing in a couple of bands, you know, like I was, it never really happened for me though. Like I was sort of just really, um, just playing guitar in people's bands. Like I wasn't really um, thinking, I didn't even know what music production was. Like, I feel like it's really interesting. Like when you think of like school and education, like I hope that there's, I really hope that there's going to be like a future, like a change in like the way electronic music is taught or can be taught and introduced at a younger age. Because like as a young as a, as a student, like, I didn't know what production was. I didn't know how it worked. And it's such an important part in, like, making music today. So I didn't really realise what production was until I got to U... I, I studied a music industry course at, um, at a university in Melbourne. And I was kind of just, like, introduced to Ableton Live, which is the, the software that I use to produce in. It's not special. I didn't really, you know, we were given the task of remixing a Queen song and I just like, don't stop me now. And I hated it. Like I just didn't, we were given stems and I just like, they were like, produce, re produce a remix and uh, just use like all the inbuilt instruments in Ableton. And, um, and I was kind of just like, cause I wasn't a very, this was all new to me. I just sucked. And so I didn't think of like recording in instruments. I tried to use like all the inbuilt instruments and I was just like, this is so hard and I didn't get it. And I was like, you know, like production isn't for me. But my, uh, in, in the second year or the second half of the first year, a university lecturer, like uh, it was another production course that I was doing. He introduced us to, or he introduced me to Jay Diller and, and Jay Diller's record Donuts, his mixtape mix tape Donuts, and I was like, this is like, this is fucking amazing. incredible Alice Ivy all the way from Melbourne, Australia. She's got all the good party jams, so uh, check out her records for sure. Back in September, I got to head out to my first ever Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho. It was uh, one of my favorite trips of the year and one of my favorite festivals that I've gotten to cover. I was able to get six episodes recorded in the four days that I was out there. My buddy Bert came out for a few days to help get some video and some photos, so it was great to have him alongside for the trip. We had a killer time out there, and the festival led me to finding one of my favorite albums and artists of the year, singer-songwriter Joe Capolo, who is on local Portland, Oregon label Fluff and Gravy, and this is me talking to Joe. Yeah, have you always found yourself pretty drawn into the singer-songwriter 
vibe of things then as far as being someone that that just like loves songs and feels like that's where it's at for you yeah yeah i i i do although another thing that i'm i'm that i've grown into thinking is that um the song is very important but also i guess what i mean to say is like the uh, the 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 musical the original musical statement and the song itself being part of it like the lyrics and the melody but also like this is going to sound very whatever the vibe you know vibe vibe counts yeah. you know what i mean like um there's a lot of artists that if you take their song for like the lyrical and the melodic content it's great but like the vibe just maybe isn't quite like doing it justice and there's a lot of artists that like their vibe is so great and like maybe the songs or whatever but like people love it because yeah. vibe, vibe counts so like also like working on songwriting and working on like the curation of a of a vibe that like you that you, you feel is like a true expression of yourself and that serves the song and that is pleasing to the ear yeah kind of the the feel over everything yeah 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 feel feel is very important as well yeah when that exists it's uh i feel like that's where the undeniable thing kind of comes in and and yeah man just going have it all going through these these two records that you have out just that's that's what i get out of the front to back with with each tune you know just like thinking about i said i was going and i went is just one of those songs that uh just grabs a hold and you know has a a heavy weight to it and just your your delivery and turns of phrases with things are are really rad it's it's very cool to find out that that stuff is all home recorded too i think that's uh really impressive to me just because even listening to the records and thinking about what i wanted to talk to you about I, i feel like that that whole record has this uh this real timeless feel to a lot of it you know, yeah. and, uh, I don't know, just the, the sounds you got out of it. Um, do you attribute that to anything in particular? Or? It definitely was entering into new space. It's almost like traveling or something. It's like you're the first time you go to a place, you're always going to have a much more like present, like, just strong stronger connection to it because it's new and you you know and you can revisit it but you can never quite capture that same feeling and I guess that's just like first record syndrome you know what I mean and I, and I guess I'm happy that like I think that that record turned out really well because that was like my first dive into like I'm going to make a record and like I can do anything you know I've got my tape recorder I've got like my mind i've got like my friends to help me and play on it and like give give um you know direction and like recommendations and ideas and i can do anything and that was the first time i did that and um it just really pulled me in and you know and and so yeah i think that's why maybe you know if um just that new energy really pulled the ideas out of me I said I was going and I went 
the scariest thing that I've done yet And after all, ain't it just about that I said I was going and I went Monophonics was one of the best live shows that I got to see this year I saw them back-to-back nights at Tree Fort, and in between sets, I got to chat with the band's lead singer, producer, and keys player, Kelly Finnegan. His passion for making and playing music was very apparent in his performance and in the way he spoke to me about the music. They were the band I was most stoked to see going into the Tree Fort Festival, and it was so rad to get to sit side stage the second night and just watch these dudes just absolutely shred they're all such incredible musicians and it was really rad to get to chat with kelly for a bit we really found each other at a great time i was starting to sing more i wasn't a singer it's not something that i was like singing in other bands or singing on things i did it very periodically and i was very new to me and they were looking to um, you know, introduce vocals a lot more into their sound. So yeah. I think the timing was really important. What was that like for you to to all of a sudden become the front person for this band and, and start singing regularly? Was that was it's very it, strange? Yeah, it's not something I embraced at first. I embrace it a lot more. You know, people see me kind of. I think I've always, you know, I think I performing I was okay with because what I was able to do is. It's kind of like being the the small guy on the team. It's like, okay, if I hustle and I work my butt off, people are going to notice me. I might not be the best player, but they're going to notice my energy and my willingness to just go hard every time. So I think that was my approach was, okay, I'm not some singer. I don't have any experience playing in bands or performing like this, but if I really just go at it with no fear and go at it, not that I wasn't scared shitless, but <laughs> but just go it in, in a way of just go for it. You know what I mean? That people would um, embrace that. Yeah. Because there's honesty to it. I was being honest. I was, I think, more than honest. And I was being vulnerable, um, which is what is that connection with people. That's what draws you in and goes, oh, okay, I believe this guy. I want to embrace dude. him. Fuck yeah. That, that was... The message was received yesterday when I saw it Good. live. You know, it, it. I was just like, "Oh, this this dude uh, is is all in on this." You know, he he. There's there's so much conviction in their performance, and I was gonna before I got to see the show, I had some some notes of just kind of I wanted to ask you about having this style of band, how you kind of put a fresh twist on on this on this music that kind of has you know, years of history, but I felt like that was just like really answered to me when I saw the live show. It was like, Oh, this is how you do it. You just do it. You just, you go all in on the the performance and that authenticity is just like something you can't fuck with. Oh, I completely agree. You can't. Um, yeah, it's just the honesty is so important in art, you know, especially because there's so many contrived, and calculated things that are done and and that's not new per se but it's just gotten a lot more acceptable um as we've you know as we've gotten to where we are now i mean from 
you know, imitation is a huge form of flattery, and we definitely have our fair share of of music that we've, you know, nicked a bit here or it's been, yeah. you know what I mean, inspired by this piece or, but that's also art. And, but when it comes to performing or just being the band we are, we're not afraid to just say, hey, this is who we are, you know, and we're never. It's easy to get caught up in, um, well, you guys are doing like this old school thing or it's retro or it's like throwback. And it's like, no, it's just, it's a certain time period of music and art and it's a style and it's a sound that we really appreciate. And we want to keep reminding people that it's, it was a really magic time in music and in in the culture of the world. I mean, not magic. There was a lot of terrible yeah. things going on in a lot of places. But I just mean there was a lot of growth. I mean, I think people forget that the 50s and really half the 60s were so conservative in this country and so like, you know, don't do this. Like every every move counts. Don't wear this. Don't ha- cut your hair like this. Don't be this way. And then by 66, it really started exploding um, to where – there was a lot more, you know, being an individual and expressing yourself and being proud of however weird or freakish you want to be. It's yeah. okay because just because it doesn't align with society or society's message doesn't mean that you don't offer something important to, you know, the people, the world, the country. What do you what do you do to capture uh, the energy for actually making a record and not having the, the crowd to... I just love creating and I love being creative and and working with people and there's a magic in just that moment of something special happens or a happy accident or you know you're working on something and all of a something all of a sudden uh, there's an element that appears and it takes you in a new direction or inspires you to go you know at first you might go man I really want to do this with this song and this is this but then all of a sudden you know within the process you're off that beaten path and you've embrace something new and it's even better than you could imagine your original idea and it's just the the thrill and high of creating something and especially as you progress in your career knowing that there's an audience out there that's really thrilling that there's people out there that are waiting yeah because you as a music fan we all start off as fans you know that's every single musician starts off that's as why i'm here man who loves music <laughs> man so so that's i try to never forget that and lose touch with the fact that music just moved me in such a powerful way and it changed my life to where i said i want to chase i want to chase creating those feelings for people like what people created for me to feel and turned me on i want to do the same for others because i know how important that is for me in my life and and who i am and i know there's people that rely on music so heavily for their daily you know just to get through life you know music is such an important part and to know that i can contribute in in some way like that is an honor amen You, you gave it back to me yesterday man it was yeah it was very it was a powerful experience and i think also just because i haven't been in too many crowds that big of of people as well and just uh yeah i don't know it was the kind of set where i i was kind of like looking around and i think it's hard for people to not have a smile on their face watching something like that you know that's wonderful man i mean that's what it's all about is making people feel good even if it's you know there's a funny thing there's a funny charlie brown cartoon where he you know i think lucy's playing a record and charlie brown says this record makes me feel so sad 
And then at the end he goes, let's, let's listen to it again. You know, because there's something interesting about that, that we are gravitated towards this nostalgic sadness or something that reminds us of a yeah. family member or an ex or a part of our lives that maybe isn't the brightest part, but because of that nostalgia, we want to experience that experience that sadness again because it's not it's not the same sadness. It's not as powerful. It doesn't carry the same load as maybe what initially caused that sadness. But there's something I find that so interesting. That and I'm drawn to those. Yes, yeah. I love a good sad song. I love you know I'll go back to old records that may remind me of something that was a tough time in my life. But for some reason I'm just attracted to this those things. So it's very interesting. Yeah, we're bringing joy, but. Sometimes we're just helping people be reminded of their feelings and emotions. Mike Denny, a.k.a. Geographer, was one of the artists that I was brand new to this year that I got to chat with, and I really appreciate the music he makes. The deeper I dove into his catalog, the more I dug his songwriting, and and this was one of those chats where I felt like we just hit it off from the get-go, and quickly two hours passed us, and I just felt like I really got to know him within this conversation and uh we talked about his upbringing and discovering music and and chatted about various albums and songs of his so this is a clip from episode 282 with geographer i so my real musical journey started when i started playing the saxophone so that was like my first musical choice like my parents um you know they asked me like what do you want to what do you want to play? Uh, trumpet. Like, what are you thinking? And I was just like, saxophone. Like, for some reason, that just stood out to me. I mean, it's, I had never heard anybody play the saxophone before. I think it was because my sister had a friend who played the saxophone, and he was really good. He was, like, quite a bit older than me. Um, he was older than her, too. He was, like, a senior when she was a freshman in high school. Um, and he was just... I don't know. I, I don't know. I like saw something in him that I was like, yeah, I want I want to be like that. So I took the saxophone and um, yeah, the the for the next like few years tortured my parents <laughs> with just like <laughs> elephant sounds. <laughs> but that became kind of my identity as a person because I was really bad at sports and. Uh, you know, basically that's it. You know, that's that that's like the currency of youth is sports and like, you know, running around. <laughs> I wasn't great at that stuff. Um, so I just like I really threw myself into music and I became, you know, that was my identity from others as well. Like they were like, this is the saxophone kid. He's like uh, sort of a saxophone phenom, you know, and I, you know, I didn't like apply myself that hard i've always been somewhat of a lazy you know like a musician where i would never practice the saxophone but i 
I still had lessons every week, you know? So it was like that was my practice, was at my lesson, much to my teacher's chagrin. But he never let on. God bless him. But it's like <laughs> that that eventually became the thing that buoyed my self-confidence such that it was, you know? Because mm-hmm. I was definitely like a nerdy, dorky, scrawny, undesirable person. But then I got to play all the saxophone solos, you know? So it was like playing... I played the, the alto solo in In the Mood, um glenn miller song and that was you know i mean and it also just felt so good like i experienced euphoria playing the saxophone where it was like i mean because those songs that they had us play were incredible you know and i but i remember this one particular song in high school um is a keith jarrett song and i don't know what it is so I don't remember it, but I remember playing it and just ripping on that solo, improvising a solo and feeling like I hit all the right notes and just like this euphoric feeling in my chest. It was like, after that, I was hooked. I was just sort of like, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And obviously I left the saxophone aside, but. Yeah. yeah. But also cool that you, you kind of became that cool saxophone dude that you, you looked up to. <laughs> I did, and once I did, I realized that there's nothing particularly cool about being the cool saxophone dude. (laughs) But so I moved down here to L.A., started writing songs with a lot of other people, not always for me. And that was really um, instrumental in, in my development of, like, what can I do versus what do I want to do, you know? Yeah. So it's like... I still love, like, I have some friends who are really in the, like, write for TV game, and they'll loop me in, you know, because I can produce, and we'll write a song together, and then they'll be like, all right, now we want it to be like a peppy disco type song. And I'm like, cool, could try that, you know, and I like, and I try it, and I do my best, and it takes me longer than other people, but I get there eventually, and I learn so much along the way, and it's really fun, and and. It's also nice to have something that you dread working on because you're like, oh, God, I have to mix that saw disco song. But you, it's like <laughs> gives you structure, you know. Right. But then I'm like, I'm not going to release this song as mine. But every now and then you you make a song like uh, When Will I Belong was a song that I wrote, you know, by myself for a TV show. And I ended up just being like, this is this is like kind of always wanted to write a song like this and i'm like and this feels like me you know it feels like something not only that but it feels like something that i want to be me even if it is me or not you know because it hurts to feel like you are beholden to a stranger's conception of of who you can be you know that's painful to you um and and to to see that you know because that was also a big song for me and kind of like the first big song i had in a while um And that was really meaningful to me to see that I could stretch myself to a place where I was uncomfortable because I was like embarrassed about that song. I was like, it's too pretty. It's too like, it's too long, you know? And then I was just like, to see it really, really well received by people who'd never heard of Geographer and people who loved Geographer. I was like, okay, I think we got this. So many geographer records to check out if you uh, 
dug that conversation and they all explore pretty different dynamics so it's uh it's cool to to see where the the shifts are within the music and and see what kind of different production mike was diving into at times this next clip is from episode 268 with morgan wade I found Morgan's Reckless album on the day that it came out, just browsing the new releases for the day. And as soon as I put on the first track, I was hooked in very quickly to her songwriting. And I probably reached out that day and bugged her PR people for the next three or four months, just checking in once a month or so about when I could chat with Morgan. And uh, I finally got the opportunity to link up on the phone with her and it was really great to uh, get to chat with her her album has gotten so much cool reception this year from rolling stone magazine and and she made it with sadler vaden from jason isbell and the 400 unit and it's uh just a, a killer record amongst the the tops on the uh the country charts this year and uh definitely got a lot of well-deserved recognition and very cool to get to chat it up with morgan wade on episode 268 of the cast love to talk some some lyrics and just kind of maybe some of the emotional drive behind the the record as a whole and don't cry talks about not being afraid to fall apart so i was curious what has falling apart taught you about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, a big thing for me was getting sober, uh, four years sober now, and that that's that taught me a lot in itself. You know, a lot of these uh, moments that I've been through that I'm like, man, I don't know that I'm going to make it out of this, and I have. And I feel like it's it's been in my, you know, darkest times going through stuff that that I really realized more about myself and you know I you can read about stuff like that you know the oh well the you know the tough times will you know make you stronger and stuff like that and it's like okay but you know obviously it's true uh I mean like I look back at when I wrote the night is in a horrible place and then I just see how much that song has actually done and how far I've come from being in that place so it's it's uh it's important to me to remember that when I'm going through something, you know, something good always ends up coming out of it, whether I'm getting stronger or, you know, learn something else about myself and, you know, and now, and I look at it too. I'm like, all right, well, if I can, if I can write something about this and help somebody else, then, you know, maybe there was a reason for me experiencing, you know, whatever it is I'm going through at the time. Absolutely. How difficult is it for you to, maintain sobriety in an industry in which there's too many hours of the day where it seems appropriate to indulge in something. Yeah. I, you know, I do better on the road, not wanting to drink than I do if I was just sitting at home and and go to a restaurant or something here i feel like it's the more casual times that are a little harder that's like man you know it'd be cool to be able to go out with one of my friends and grab a beer um when i'm out working i don't want any distractions like that so i I feel like 
being on the road is a lot easier to not drink for me because you know I got to get up early and you know I have stuff to do so I don't want to I don't want to feel bad um so fortunately that's that's a good part of it and I'm not home very much so (laughs) it's easy to kind of maintain that right now yeah do you attribute the music to being really therapeutic for sobriety as well yeah yeah i mean you know and i'm going out there and i'm singing songs about sobriety and so if we really i i remember that too i'm like you've got a lot of people here that are, are sober and you know they they look up to you and in, in that regard and so it would be really uh really weird to to have a drink and then go out there and sing songs about right, being sober right, right. so <laughs> so that's good because it reminds me it's like you know i mean there are always moments where you're like i could have one drink but i also know that no i cannot have one drink yeah i would imagine that creates like some sort of uh next level connection with those those folks out there going through the same thing as well because i think when you encounter and develop a deep and long-lasting relationship with people that have addiction issues it can sort of unlock this next level of empathy you have for the people that are really going through it oh for sure for sure what sparked your sobriety what was kind of that turning point for you where you were done with it um i had tried to you know and in any time that you're like man i don't want to drink and then you find yourself being like well, i can't stop that's kind of what, obviously it's an issue if you want to be able to quit something you can't that should be a, a red flag right there and i was up in new york and i played i had two shows up there and the first night that we played i mean i i just i got hammered uh i've never been that drunk before i just drank and drank and drank and drank and I had a hangover that didn't really feel like a hangover. It was it was just this weird like brick on my chest, as weird as that sounds. It was and it lasted for like a couple weeks. And so when I was up there in New York, like the next day after that, I was like, I'm not I'm not drinking anything anymore. I'm not drinking anymore. And you know, I think my friends were like, All right, she's not gonna drink for a week, a couple days a week. You've just got a hangover and it just, it, it was like, I went back home and it was just like the thought of even picking up any alcoholic beverage, just, it just felt, uh, it, it was just this very bizarre and empty feeling. And that's when I realized, all right, you got to start your sobriety journey. And so I, you know, I, I went and I bought just about every book that I could. I picked up <laughs> Russell Brand's book, Recovery. Uh, I started reading and listening to podcasts and I was like, you know what? You were going to learn to like sparkling water. You were going to freaking love it. Here I am, you know, drinking a LaCroix right now, but <laughs> it, it was, it was just kind of one of those things that it was just like, I, I'm glad that I had that feeling and it was a very weird, very scary, bizarre, like feeling. And I don't know, it very well could have been alcohol poisoning, quite honestly, I don't know what it was, but I drank more that day than I'd ever drank. But I I just felt empty and knowing that, all right, if you don't make some kind of change, like you're just depressed and uh, you're not going to get drinking is not going to take any of that away for you. So that, yeah, that was four years ago. And it 
you know, has not been obviously easy. Uh, looking back, you know, it, it sounds easier than what it was for sure, you know, but it, I mean, it's just something that I think with time might even get a little bit harder because it's been so long since I've drank, it's kind of hard to remember sometimes why you quit. And uh, sometimes you wonder, well, I'm not the same person I was then. You know, I could probably pick up a drink now and be have one and be okay. That that's that's typically the downfall right there. So, fortunately, I've I've never given into that, and I've just tried to build a really good support system and find some sober friends. And you know, even my friends that drink encourage me to remain sober. So, it's uh, it's it's, it's good to have those people around. So this next clip is from another one of those bucket list episodes for me. And uh, Suzanne Santo is an incredible songwriter and musician. And she's got this really amazing voice that I fell for right away when I heard it 10 years back or so. She was once a part of a duo called Honey Honey, which is the outfit I knew her from. And their album three is one of my favorites and definitely an artist that I had on that list when I started this podcast six years back of people that I'd like to chat with one day if the podcast ever developed to that level. So amazing, unreal to get to speak with Suzanne. I love her solo tunes as much as the Honey Honey stuff. Her new record, Yard Sale, is amazing. It's got killer features on it from Shaky Graves and Gary Clark Jr. And it was amazing to get to pick her brain about how she has developed and her experience making these solo records. Did you feel like you had some natural feel for it? Or Definitely. Was it a lot of work on yeah. It? No, I would get really, really good at it really fast. Like, I definitely. Um, probably undervalued that and I probably still do I should really like be nicer to myself about things <laughs> but um I yeah I definitely um I had this really amazing choir teacher Marlene Dre Mrs. Dre at, at school and she would discreetly you know uh you know take me aside and let me like work on singing with her and, and she kind of let me know that I had a, a special gift and that I could really you know hone in on this and and that was really cool. You know, I definitely noticed things when I would sing in public, like at a rehearsal or a recital or something. And um, it was a feeling of like that I was I was doing something that it wasn't just like, you know, joining the soccer team or something. It had a little more to it. And as I got older and more comfortable stepping into that, I, I could really understand that that there was some kind of gift here that I could really fine tune (laughs) for sure and were you writing lyrics from a pretty young age before you went to any of those no mics no i was a late bloomer i was i really started around like 19 1920 yeah the year 1920 is when i started writing (laughs) i am very old (laughs) so um was it easy was it easy for you to be so forthright and so revealing of yourself through your lyrics early on? No, not at all. It took me a really long time. And there were actually, you know, I'm not going to get into details, but there were some 
circumstances that happened in my family life that like reshaped my world and reshaped my family and something about it uh, gave me this free agency to express myself and not be concerned about what those closest to me thought of the content. And the thing about Honey Honey was that we, I wrote some songs, Ben wrote some songs, we wrote some songs together, but we never said who wrote the songs. So I always had this blanket that I could, uh, I could throw over the whole thing. So if I said something, if I wrote about sex or drugs or something, I could be like, oh, you know, <laughs> and then when I, when I wrote my, I did my solo record that came out in 2017, I, I, I sent it to my parents and, uh, and like to let them know this is the record I'm going to put out. And I don't know if you've listened to it, but oh, it, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in there. And, you know, I, I remember getting a voicemail from my dad. I was actually on tour with Butch Walker, who produced the record. And we were somewhere, we, a whole band had like rented a lake house for the day. And it was like vacation day. So I was like a little drunk when I listened to this voicemail from my dad. And I remember being like, here we go. And my dad left me a message and he said something along the lines of, honey, it's your father. I just listened to your filthy, raunchy, beautiful, incredibly written record. And I'm so proud of you. But he like, he like took me down this, he said, I know, I know that wasn't easy for you to write. And I, I know that, you know, some of this isn't the most comfortable to listen to as your parents, but we're so proud of you. And it was just like, you know, they, they're above and beyond uh, the parents I could have ever hoped to have had in this life. And their, their support really does mean a lot to me. And I never want to dishonor them by being a, right. an adult woman and expressing myself as such, but they've really, you know, they've been great. You know, every once in a while they'll, they'll, they'll make fun of it. You know, if it's, if it's a little outside of their comfort zone, but, but yeah, that, that was a really interesting part of my life when I started to just like surrender to that and stop thinking about the outcome and more about like the, the truth of what needs to come out, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thinking about Ruby red, um, on best out of me, you have that reference where you uh, talk about seeing behavior in your family tree and not kind of wanting to have that in you. So totally hear how, you know, just like a song like that could be very uh, vulnerable to, to put out into the world and, and have your family here and whatnot. And I see it in my family tree, yes I do, all those murderous words that'll cut you in two and I don't want it in me that haunted history that bruises the fruit black and blue you can write me off honey you can rip out pages you can tell I'd imagine it's pretty exciting too to just be able to explore any idea you want and not have to worry about other opinions as far as making a record I mean, yes and no. I mean, I'm a collaborator at heart. Like you, you always like, it's, no one ever does it alone. You know, I still, I work with producers and, and engineers and, and, you know, uh, but I, I definitely have my own internal compass in a way that um, it's so interesting when it happens, like when a song just comes out and I get like a physical uh, reaction to it. Like sometimes I'm overly emotional and it's, and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I, I hit a, I hit a nerve. So that's something or, or my, I get goosebumps all over when I go back and listen to the demos on my iPhone. And that, that's always been a good barometer for, uh, 
heading in the right direction. And, you know, oddly, one of my new songs, it's called Mercy. It came out a couple of weeks ago or last week. Oh my God. <laughs> and um, it was a really, like, it, it just like, I, I wrote it nearly a night and then finished it the next day. And it was so intense. I was really emotional and I was surprised by it because I, I went back to these really seminal times in my life and where I grew up and how I grew up in this blue collar neighborhood and the things that I witnessed as a young child and recognized that like, that's where my instincts came from. This is where I learned what like bad people are like. I can, I know what that frequency is. I know what this frequency of someone who needs help looks like and feels like. And, and so it's like a really emotional thing. And, I've gotten more phone calls and texts and DMs about this song. And, and it, and I guess that speaks to that um, collective connectivity that we have, uh, especially when it comes to music or cinema or things that like bring us to a place of, of our own individual um, feelings, I guess. Yeah. And so I, I, I find that to be a great honor because I guess it means I'm, I'm doing something with this job and this gift and, and, I, I can only hope to move people just like I'm moved by other people's work. Yeah. Mercy is one of my favorite songs that you've ever written. Thanks, for sure. man. Like the, the hook on that Thank one is, is just like, I don't know. It's too good. It's too good. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I love, you know, just like you're talking about, you know, you, you speak about kind of how you're brought up a little bit and how you're seeing the world and talk about how you're you know fighting with your sisters and that tune and just very cool still fighting with my sisters <laughs> <laughs> that is not change that's probably never gonna change <laughs> Suzanne Santo. She's so rad. She was on the podcast. It's crazy. It's crazy. This next one was pretty wild for me as well. Back in May, I took a road trip down to Los Angeles and I was there for a couple weeks and I got a few podcasts in while I was out there and I had seen that the band Armor for Sleep had announced this anniversary tour for What to Do When You Were Dead and I decided to reach out to see if anyone from the band would be interested in talking and i was really excited when i got a quick response from their singer ben jorgensen that uh, he was actually in la at the time and was uh, interested in chatting and it was just so cool because in my late teens early 20s armor for sleep was heavy in the rotation of the the screamo and the pop punk and things of that nature going on at that time i was definitely listening to this record as well as my my bandmates at the time so it was uh surreal to get to sit down with ben jorgensen from armor for sleep the biggest reward i've gotten from my life from doing armor for sleep is just seeing um you know how something can affect people through the years something you know even as small as what to do when you're dead you know not like it's like a a rembrandt painting or something but um yeah that's that's really fucking cool. And um, I was bummed out on music for a while. 
like I said, I'd been playing music since I was like 14. And at a certain point, I almost, I compared it to like a magic trick seems really cool. But like, once you like see the sleight of hand and you learn how to do it and you like are presenting magic tricks to people, they're still like, Oh my God, that's so cool. But you're like, it's not, you know, it's not really magic. (laughs) So like, I felt that way about music a lot. Like, you know, once you learn the tricks, you're like, it's not, it's really not that cool. Like from like where I am. Um, so I think people still listening to what to do when you're dead made me think like, yeah, it is kind of a magic trick. Um, but like whatever, it makes people feel stuff. And like, what else are we going to do when we're alive and bored? You know, what is it like for you? Um, like, what do you think about what to do when you're dead, you know, 15 plus years later when you, when you listen back to those tunes or go deep in, into the lyrics and whatnot, you, f- you feel pretty uh, proud of those tunes still, or is it kind of a weird experience for you to, to have this snapshot in time of when you're 20 years old or so? Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I wrote those when I remember being in the studio on my 21st birthday. So I, I wrote that probably when I was 19 and 20. Um, It's interesting because as an ambitious 21 year old kid, I wanted like, it sounds like selfish or whatever, but I wanted the immediacy of a reaction to the record. And like with that one, we, we got a little bit with car underwater and stuff, but I think, you know, seeing how it's um, connected with people, like you said, 15 years later, um, makes me realize like what really makes um art and music special is when it can have that lasting effect um and now that i'm a little bit older and don't want that immediate like attention or success i think that'll influence whatever i want to do moving forward where like if i want to put something out i'm not going to expect it to like blow up and give me riches overnight like I think it's way more meaningful to do something that can kind of like outlive you you know and like that's way more rewarding anyway um, so that's like a cool lesson that uh, this record has taught me I would say Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Mussels and Fritz are on the menu, their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. I love hearing people's stories of redemption and self-discovery and I always feel fortunate for the way people are willing to open up on the mic with me through these conversations. And that is what happened on episode 254 when I got to chat with Charlotte, North Carolina-based rapper Mert's son. 
I know from listening to the music, you, you've been through the throes of depression and, and uh, experienced a lot of, you know, turmoil and tragedy through your life and stuff. Uh, I'm assuming, like, the depression really hits heavy. Like, you lose your brother and your mom in the same year, in 2015? Same year, bro, yeah. So same is that kind of, like, what really put you in the throes of, of depression and... Yeah, man, it was a, yeah, just life in general. I had that shit going on. Talk about that on the first album. Uh, Thanks for asking Um, is what got me through my depression because I wasn't doing music for a while. I would <laughs> be promising my, my little following I had on Facebook, I'm going to drop a song every Sunday and I'll fucking fade away. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> go out there and start living again, you know. But I had yeah. uh, knee surgery. I had uh, I had a daughter. Um. I just, I was, women, I could not, I was fucking horrible. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, keep my dick in my pants. Like, I just couldn't, you know what I'm saying? I just couldn't be faithful. Like, um, my love life was a mess, um, you know, and just couldn't get it right. So, when you're in depressed and you break into all these pieces during your depression, you have to build yourself back up. And I had those different parts about myself. Like, it wasn't just my mom and my brother. Losing them is what opened the door to everything else that I had going on within like good solid dude but you know cheating on a regular opens up all kinds of pathways to the negatives of yourself yeah just not being faithful that shit had turned me to a liar it had turned me to a cheater um my life was all over the place um some shit went on with my family too after my mom died um within my family and that shit was a mess so yeah I was just a ball bro music thanks for asking was the outlet as I was going through different stuff you know, it, uh, a different song came from it or a different feeling or a different emotion. Yeah, losing losing my mom and my brother opened up the door to to the depression, but it was so much more going on. I just really had to get my life in order. Losing them had opened up the door to my fear of death. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that shit became a part of my depression because I was living in fear. And that's another thing that that the, the psychedelics had brought out as well was you know eliminating the the fear of death like i had to get rid of that shit because i feel like i couldn't you can't live to your your full potential if you learn about when you're gonna go you know what i'm saying so yeah i had to get rid of that i had to get my life in order health wise because what killed my mother and my brother was shit that they could have prevented if they would have eaten right if they would have worked out you know congestive heart failure and they had diabetes and high blood pressure and shit, like all kinds of things that were contributing to their health. So I was overweight for a while. So losing them was like, all right, bro, like that's what About Dale came in. You know where my second album, like after I healed from depression, you know what took your family away from here. So now what are you going to do to prevent you from leaving here before, you know, your babies are ready for you to leave here or before you ready yeah. to, like, you know what I'm saying? So... Yeah, I had to turn turn them turn them L's into lessons, them losses into lessons. I didn't know Brandy Sedan before having her most recent record, Falcon, sent to me. And I was first drawn to her life experiences that had informed 
that particular record and the way that she had framed things through the music and ability to tell a story along with her great voice and killer guitar playing. This is uh, one of those conversations that kind of caught me by surprise and really helped inform my perspective for experiences that I won't have in my life and I still just remember being very filled up after having this conversation with Brandy and being very happy and this is one where the Zoom chat did not prevent a vibe from being created at all with this one. remember the most is that those first times man the fearlessness that I had I wish I could get it back like I wish I could have that again like even that as a, when I think of like I remember playing um, come together on an upright piano in front of all these people I think it was some sort of like weekend choir conference but it was the talent show part and I was <laughs> that was what I decided to do so I was really into the Beatles when I was 12 and I was probably in some sort of polyester shirt with like a tie-dyed shirt underneath or whatever. But <laughs> um, I just, it just that, that fearlessness. And even, even when I think of being 15 or 16 and playing in high school and playing my own songs, that's what I remember about it. And I, I want it. I want it back. <laughs> oh, maybe it's it's probably the naivete as well, right? Like just being a naive, you, you're naive enough that you have no fear. And that's, there's something really special about that. But yeah. also, I think I'm getting to the place where I'm like, I'm going full circle now where I, I know a lot. I don't know everything, obviously, and I'm still always learning, but I know enough about myself that I can kind of, kind of start to grasp that fearlessness again, which I'm really... I'm feeling it, especially having recorded and done this whole record, you know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I think that's a test to my fearlessness really right now anyway, as an artist and just going for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I think maybe it has to do with the, the weight of the content that comes out over a course of a career, or at least with yours, you know, this, you that uh, you weren't singing about the same things you were singing about as a teenager as you are with, you know, the Falcon record and the weight that comes with all of that. So I'm I'm assuming that has to do with it a little bit too. But did you ever feel from the beginning that there was uh, something like special or scary about being that vulnerable with your feelings? Well, honestly, there... When you have, when you have a baby, there's something that is, all of the vulnerability is like blown open. So aside from any artistry or songwriting, you are probably at your most vulnerable place that you ever are at in your life in those first, um, that like first few days, the first few weeks, and then the first few months. And you are... You are this raw, um, 
it's it's really I feel like I've I was the closest that I'll ever be to feeling like an animal. <laughs> so <laughs> if that if that makes sense, like a raw animalistic sort of I am here to make this this being survive and this is my like task. So there is a vulnerability about going to that space and embracing that and kind of like and just being with it. I wasn't scared to go there with the songs and the record because I had been there already and I had been to a scarier place than this will ever be. Than this like singing about these things and and talking about these things. I've already been to the scarier place and it was okay. I got through it. I was fine. But you really are at that. I mean, that I almost, (laughs) I'm not having another baby. I've decided to just have one, I think, but I almost want to just experience that whole thing again, just to see if if it's the same again. (laughs) Cause man, it's, it's so wild. And that's the other thing. Like there is a track on the record called I am wild. And it is really all about that. It's about like, just being at like this purest form of human and animal and mammal it's beautiful it's really beautiful as scary as it is it's beautiful so yeah fearlessness with singing about this stuff um and doing all this and and just diving into it into the record it was okay I was scared yeah but it's okay so everything kind of really came together with this with this record in in terms of uh where what the songs were what they needed to be they were more intimate more sort of layered with all these guitars and vocals yeah cool I can do it at home and then I can take it somewhere and do drums couldn't do drums at home but yeah it's it's um just kind of knowing knowing what to do but also just I just had to trust my ears like really I really did and and they came through for me and I have I have a newfound confidence within within that and 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 with my ears doing this record and doing these things I feel as though it is a moment for me to own these titles like yes I am a producer I am an engineer I am all of these things I feel like as women in the business and especially these parts of the business um, we shy away from saying like oh well I've only done two records like I've only produced a couple or I've you know oh well it's like no hold on hold on if 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 a man had like half of the qualifications they would immediately own their title (laughs) yeah so like no offense no no I'm I'm with you I I think you should you should own it all Brandy like you you are all of these things you know but it's 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 this like um I just want to be an example in that. And like, I'm still like, Oh God, I don't, I don't know how to engineer on big consoles and studios, but man, that's cool. Like I'm going to know, I'm going to know how to do it. And I can still call myself this. Yeah. It's just, uh, we just have to, especially on like behind the board stuff. Like we gotta, we gotta be there. We gotta be there more. So the percentage of women, is it's like five percent and it's gotta it's gotta get gotta get higher so i'm just um all about owning these right now and hope and like hopefully it can it can also 
whether or not people even like the record. Like, I don't even care. It's just like, hey, oh, she did that. I think I can do that too. Great. Yes, you can. Go do yeah. it. Like, go try. Like, even just just engineer your own demos at home. Like, you can yeah. do it, you know? Yeah, I just appreciate the way that you shared your story through the record, especially on a song like Falcon's Wing. I think for, um, you know, me being a male, it gave me a lot to think about, about what hmm. someone going through a miscarriage can, uh, you know, be experiencing. And, and one thing I didn't even consider or touch my mind was, you know, maybe this this doubt you get into of, you know, is my, my body like strong enough to nurture something growing inside of me and you kind of like touch on that in falcon's wing and that that was the thing that kind of like opened my eyes heavy and so oh wow you know i think those are those are the huge rewards i guess in sharing your story and something like that yeah well i you know i i didn't even really that there's it's just kind of one line in there and that that's interesting that there could be that response from it um and there is, I mean, honestly, that is something that women have so much guilt after these experiences and they, they blame themselves. There's so much blaming when there's no, like you, you can't do anything about it and it's not even yeah. your fault, but that blame kind of continues like in that guilt. That's hard. That's hard stuff. So, um, but also too, and you're like wondering, you have all these thoughts all the time about, well, what if that one day I just didn't do that one thing? Mm, would that yeah. have changed it all? Like, would that have made a difference? And I mean, I still think about that. I even still think about that with, I mean, even just like my whole, how how my birth happened. Like if I just had done one thing or that, I don't it's so crazy what our minds do <laughs> yeah for sure and i thought about that and i thought about like the anxiety that you must kind of carry forward into you know trying to to do it again and trying to you know, birth a child after that so it spoke heavy stuff from episode 280 with Brandy Zidane. Big thanks to Brandy for her vulnerability and willingness to open up on the mics. There were a few artists that I talked to toward the end of the year that coincidentally had some overlap as far as artists circles and uh, that knew one another. And these next two clips are from bands that, that run in some familiar circles. And they are also bands that are brand new to my rotation and artists that I just instantly fell in love with. And the conversations I would get to have with them soon after solidified that love and grew the attachment significantly. So this next clip is myself chatting with Jason Singer, AKA Michigander. I love this dude's songwriting and I'm so happy that I came across his tunes and he's going to be out on tour with Manchester Orchestra and Foxing this upcoming year. Go see them. It's an incredible lineup. And coincidentally, when I was talking to Jason, he was in his car and just had arrived in Grand Rapids to see a Bad Bad Hat show. And the clip that will follow the Michigander highlight is me chatting 
with Carrie, lead singer of Bad Bad Hats, the Twin Cities, Minnesota-based band. And she was so much fun to chat with and just another band that blew me away with their songwriting this year and, and put out a couple of my, my favorite albums of the year. So this is from episode 283 with Michigander. I'm so sorry that I wasted your time Moving out and moving on well, My brothers are getting married They'll be starting their families While I'm out on the road does harping upon subject matter ever make it more difficult for you to move on from something or let go of something, especially when you know that you're going to have to continue to maybe sing this song night after night? Is does that go through your head at all? Um, that's a good question. I think I think the craziest thing for me is that like I don't sometimes don't remember what the songs are about like like after they come out and after like it's been a while it's like I have to be like really think and be like what was I thinking when I wrote this um but I think I'm I'm someone who really thinks big picture and I'll and I definitely have days where I'm really down like really low and it's not great but I always have to like take, I have to have those days and just like get it all out of my system. Maybe it's a week even or a month or more where I'm just like, I have to like write in my journal and say, be 100% honest with how I'm feeling emotionally. Even if it's scary, you know, I need to write it down. I need to like get it out. And then, and then like, especially if I write about it, it just kind of gets out of my system and then I can move on. Like, like even when the shittiest things happen, I think it was just really good for me to get those things out of my system and kind of think like, yeah, this sucks. But in the end of the day, it's the best move. And it's like, it's, it's showbiz <laughs> is what I always say when things suck, but you have to do them or you have to get through them. It's just like that's showbiz. And, um, that's a term I've all, I mean, people say it all the time, but like, I really say that a lot when, when things don't go well or you have to pay somebody something you didn't want to pay them and all this stuff and like all these things you know it's just showbiz and so life is showbiz and uh excuse me but um yeah i i don't i don't doesn't bother me to to kind of dwell on them for a little while and then if i put it in a song it's kind of like letting it go and then i don't the songs don't really make me that emotional later on i think by putting them in the song it kind of like takes them out of my brain Mm. and so yeah 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 well the the lyrics spoke loudly to me like i said from the first time i heard one of your tracks and i i think i i think i knew right away that as i dug deeper there were going to be a lot of moments throughout the songs that kind of fucked me up and made me feel things and i i think about the last two tracks on midland which uh stolen is one of my favorite yeah. tunes and, oh thank you uh, yeah man and it's not always that you're you're like saying new things mm-hmm. like things people haven't 
said in the past. I think it's just your your delivery of the words and delivery of the message that that seems to really hit home at times. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I try not to be. I try not to get too in the way of what what I'm saying. I never want to be too. I'm because I'm just not a very articulate person in general. Um, and so it's hard for me to sometimes achieve that high academic art <laughs> when I'm writing music. But I, I mean, like that's my that's that's sometimes what I go for. But um, I never hit it, and I think that's like kind of how a lot of us are. Is we really want to be something, but we should just be happy with where we land with it. And I think that is kind of lyrically where I, I stand a lot of times. about brett you you guys made like the last three records with him now so what what do you like about him being a part of the process and like how important is his role in making these records sound the way that you all want them to yeah well i think brett to me as an engineer so as like the person getting like the tones is like one of the best in the business like he just has like such an ear for that so that's the first thing. But then also he mixes all of our records and his mixing is like very dynamic. Like he and creative process. Like I think some mixers, you know, it's just about, you know, like the levels and but Brett is like when he mixes, like he's making like creative choices with mixing, so like with delay or with mutes or with like he's really like adding to the song and the mix process. Um, which I don't think we knew like in Psychic Reader that he was going to do that. And actually like the first mixes we got from him were like, what, (laughs) what is this? Like what happened to like half the song? Um, But if you like that style, which we ended up, we did end up liking it despite our initial uh, confusion. um, It's great because that's like, it's like the songs just are like, you you have an opportunity to be constantly surprised by your own songs when you work with Brett because he shows you places that the songs can go that you wouldn't have considered. And then in the studio as a producer, I feel like we're a good match because my my headspace is always how do I write like a simple catchy song that's easy to latch onto. That's like my whole motivation. But Brett's motivation is a lot more like how do we write something challenging and experimental mm. and like unlike something you've heard before? So they're like kind of opposite energies, but like when we combine those, I think it's really great because he helps me sort of push the comfort level. Um, but I think I provide like sort of like the solid like pop melodic backbone to his experimentation. So I think that's 
it's a great combo. Absolutely. Yeah. Your hooks, yeah. your hooks are killer. And Thank you. <laughs> I think that, yeah, one of the big standouts overall is just like your, your delivery and attitude with the vocals and the melodies. But I also very much hear what you're saying as far as throwing in some of those experimental moments, maybe at times that really kind of add to the character of the tunes yeah. and, and give it yeah. some life in different ways. I'm, I'm thinking about Always On Time is one of my favorite songs on the new record. Thank you. And I think it's just like an example of one of those tracks that kind of just keeps me wanting to listen to more of your music, but also gets in that that range of like feeling fresh and timeless at the same time. And to speak to some of those experimental moments, like coming out of that first chorus into the second verse, there's, yeah, like those video game synthy action going on. It's it's those moments that you're not expecting to happen out of these like cute pop songs or whatever, you know? to the end what a wild year it has been i hope everybody is hanging tough out there i hope you're reaching out to people if you uh if you're struggling i hope you're finding some folks to surround yourself with that uh that make you feel good and i hope that you go after all the things that uh your little heart desires in 2022 and I hope that this podcast has brought you some joy or an escape in some way. Once again, I cannot say thank you enough for all of the uh, the incredible support for this thing and all of the amazing conversations that I had this year. I'm excited for what 2022 is going to bring as we approach 300 episodes of this thing planning some uh some great guests around that and uh i'm really stoked for all the people that are going to come on this next year that i uh that i do not know about so we're gonna close out with a clip from my chat with noah gunderson and it's uh it's strange to maybe throw someone on the bucket list of guests that has already been on the podcast but uh i had the opportunity to chat with noah a few years back around the time that his white noise album came out and uh we linked up over the phone for that chat and it was really great it was uh one of my first opportunities to speak with an artist with uh, a following of that size which was uh very cool but since having that conversation with Noah, my attachment to his music has just uh, continued to grow. He's been one of the most important voices to me over the last five years. So I uh, had always wanted another opportunity to to chat with him. And back in October, I went out to Denver to hang out with my friend Ryan for the weekend. And on our itinerary for the weekend was this solo acoustic Noah Gunderson show. And he was playing two nights at this spot 
in Denver and I saw him on the the Friday night and he was to play again on Saturday and I got to sit down with him that Saturday afternoon before night two there in Denver and uh, it was just very fucking cool to get to sit down with this dude in person and he was so generous with his time and just an incredibly kind person and again just uh you know another one of these conversations that left me with a lot to think about and is uh definitely the the highlight of my year is getting to chat with this dude again and i really appreciate all of the folks that made that possible and to noah for giving me some of his time again and to all you listeners out there for supporting this thing if you uh enjoy what you hear every friday you can tune into this thing and hear conversations with different artists and if you want the uh the full noah gunderson episode you can tune in to episode 278 Hope you all enjoyed this wrap-up of the best of 2021, and I will be back at it next Friday with the first episode of 2022. Stay up. Stay tuned. This is me and Noah Gunderson. you with this feeling when you walk away from it that it's like i don't know you're uh you're feeling all these things and you're yeah. kind of forced to to reckon with them in yeah. some ways that's great i mean yeah i i i hope that it's like a safe space for people i think that's a thing like the songwriters that i grew up li- loving and listening to they just like right before this show or the show last night i, I played a show um with david bazan of Pedro the Lion, who, like, I have a very vivid memory of uh, when I was, like, 13 years old or something, listening to It's Hard to Find a Friend and having this moment, like, this uh, crazy epiphany that, like, this guy just said the thing I've been feeling, and I don't, like, that's crazy. Like, has he been reading my mail? Like, how does how does that work? And I listened back again. I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually... The thing I'm feeling. I didn't think anyone felt like that. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's such, that's, uh, I, and, and it's weird because I don't think I like set out to do that thing. I just, honestly, I was just a really fucking lonely kid who had a lot of time on his hands and felt like songs were the only way I could express these complex emotions. And then like some girls paid more attention to me because I wrote these songs. I was like, well, this feels like a solid career path. Um, and then, so yeah, so it's really, it's really special that like when you say something like that, it means a lot that like, um, that it resonates on some deeper personal level. It's a, it's a hard thing to take credit for because on one hand I've worked 
over all these years to kind of hone what I do. But, um, you know, it's also just something that kind of comes and most of what I've learned is just how to get out of the way. <laughs> I know you, uh, you were talking last night about how your relationship with the old songs has changed over this last year. Can you talk about that shift? And Yeah. I mean, I just like, I've always had like an element of self-hatred for not even self-hatred. It's just, I listen back and I, I would be like, Oh, we should have done this differently or this. Just like everything. I felt like everything I made had sucked. Uh, and, um, and that was partially what drove me to make changes the next time around and try to improve and all of that. But, um, you know, I think I have enough distance from these songs now where I can play them as almost as if I'm covering myself, like I'm playing covers of my own songs. Um, and also with this perspective of like, it's not just about me, you know, it's about the people that these songs have meant something to. Um, cause for a long time music was just performance, especially was like a see seeking validation, seeking something to make me feel a sense of self-worth, you know? So getting on stage was like the hour and a half of me feeling like I good about myself, you know? Um, and now I'm able to come to these songs and, and like kind of smile and like, Oh, that's funny. That's where your head was at. Like 16 years ago. Um, but also just the way I, this the way I write music is there's a lot of times when I don't really know what I'm writing and I just try to trust that it's going to make sense. Um, and it's funny as I go back and revisit these songs, like there's some that sort of became stories in my life later. And I don't know if I just manifested that because of whatever attitude I had at that time, but like, like for example, this, the, the song fire from uh, the family album, like, I don't know what the fuck I was writing when I wrote that. I just kind of had this image and it was sort of dramatic. And I was like, in my late teens early 20s and and then it's funny like playing it back i'm like shit there's a lot to this i relate to now um as a part of my own journey as a now 32 year old person so um so it's fun and and i can i can revisit them and and sing them a little differently and play them a little differently but um but i feel more relaxed about them i'm just I know that they mean stuff to people and I'm happy to be able to perform them. I was born in a lighthouse my mother Have you found that therapy has affected your, your songwriting outside oh, of just yeah. like the, the boundaries of things? I think it's helped me become a better communicator about what's going on with me. Um, I think it's just, it's uncovered and unearthed some of my more deep-seated issues. And in that process, I'm, I've gained new perspective. And so then that perspective, I think, translates over to the music. 
Yeah. And then you have that as like an additional outlet to Mm -hmm. revisit that stuff and and work it out through that as well. But it's also nice because it's not just putting all that weight on the music, um, which can be like a heavy burden to bear, right? When your only source or outlet of feeling okay and expressing yourself is in this thing that's also your job, it gets fucking weird. Um, so to have a, another outlet take some of the pressure off, which honestly I think allows for more creativity um, because you're not just like, I really need this to like fix me right now. You know what I mean? Well, I could uh, talk to you for hours about all this, <laughs> but I know that I have to let you go so you can get ready for uh, night two yeah. here in Denver. Um I want to play the episode out with Sleepless in Seattle, which is definitely one of my favorite tunes out of your entire catalog of music. And, uh, yeah, can you maybe close this out, just talk about what it's been like for you to move away from the Seattle area and start this new chapter in your life? Yeah. I mean, it was as like, you know, the first time you move away from home, at least for me, you start this journey of trying to find a new home. Um, and sometimes you find it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's a group of people, sometimes it's a city, sometimes it's the literal home <laughs> that you <laughs> buy or whatever. Um, but yeah, for 10 years, Seattle was like my spot and I kind of kind of got in at like the last death rattle of when it was cool and got to see some really cool bands play and got to be a part of a music community where I would see people I knew all everywhere I went and and it had it, you know it definitely wasn't perfect there was plenty of weird tribal shit and you know I was jaded already at that time <laughs> and um but it was really special to be a part of that. Um, and, but also, you know, you got to change and you got to evolve and you got to grow and cities got to do the same thing. You know, it's sad that there's not, um, there's not a, doesn't seem like there's, uh, an attempt to like create a space for artists to still exist in the city. Um, but I don't really know how to do that with like, without government overreach, which I'm not really a fan of either. Yeah. So it's like, how the fuck do you regulate gentrification? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, it seems to just be something that happens. It's such a fucked up Yeah, it's sad. it's sad. So, um, yeah, I've just, I just slowly watched the city become something I didn't recognize anymore. And um, then when COVID hit, I was already planning on leaving, but then COVID kind of, accelerated that process um and it was hard it was hard to leave a place where I like became who I am but also there's so there's so many memories attached with the place like you know this intersection or this apartment building or this bar that this person worked at you know or there's all these memories attached with the city that there's some pleasant ones and there's some unpleasant ones. Um, and there's also some things that just need to like, that you need to let go of in order to grow. And, um, I've always had a hard time with that. And, uh, that's what, you know, this record's called a pillar of salt because of looking back in memory and stuff. And, uh, 
So leaving Seattle, I think, was really important for me to kind of go into this next chapter of my personal life, my musical life. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I miss it. I miss what it was. Um, I don't recognize it anymore. But, you know, I'm, I'm finding my own, a new home, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a, a big reason your music resonates is because I also struggle with the letting go of things and, and wanting to hold on to certain memories and, and your music is so great about addressing those things. And, uh, it's just been fucking exciting, man, to just see how your career continues to evolve. And, and I was just had so much anticipation for this new record yeah. with the last two. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, just again, just like touches on that, that full range of emotions, man. And Good. it's, it's amazing. So I just feel incredibly grateful to get to spend some time with you in person and yeah, like i said dude your your music has just been such a, a big fucking deal or pillar to me over the last few years specifically thank so you. this I, I uh this one means a lot to me so thank you so much for for doing the thing yeah dude thanks for talking yeah we end every episode of the podcast with the guests saying the tagline of the show which is it's a program it's it's a program. He did it, everybody. That's Noah Gunderson. I'll put all the links in the episode notes so you can keep up with Noah Gunderson. And we are going to play it out with Sleepless in Seattle from that Pillar of Salt record that is available now. And that is the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, Denver, the middle of nowhere, wherever you are listening from. Cool, man. Sweet. Thanks so much, dude. Sleepless in Seattle I couldn't find a better name for this If idle hands make devils work Maybe we should build a church Just so we can burn it down Cause every bar in this city Reminds me of somebody now If I get drunk at 12th and Union, whose street will I go wandering down? So I don't want to go home.
give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their support of this thing and make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30 percent off your first year of membership with distro kid making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that and the link is also in uh, the link in my instagram bio on the link tree so you can find it there as well big thanks to distro kid stay up stay tuned <laughs> 